Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. So grab yourself some coffee and let's get into it. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. This episode is a case suggestion from Patreon subscriber Jen D., So thank you, Jen, for the suggestion. And just a quick reminder, if you guys are a Patreon member and you send in case suggestions, then we will cover those ahead of other suggestions. In 2002, 12-year-old Ashley Pond was living in Oregon City, Oregon with her mom, Lori Pond, at the Newell Creek Village Apartments and attending Gardner Middle School. On January 9th of 2002, Ashley left her house around 8 a.m., to walk the 10 minutes to her bus stop, just like she did every morning. When she was leaving, she had said goodbye to her mom and everything seemed perfectly normal. However, it was later discovered that Ashley never ended up making it to her bus stop that morning. However, her mom wasn't super concerned because this was kind of normal for Ashley to wake up late, miss the bus, and then walk down a little ways from the apartment complex to her friend's house and catch a ride with her and her father. When Lori found out that Ashley had not been at school, she did contact police and let them know that she thought something was wrong with her daughter. Initially, police thought that potentially she was a runaway. The main reason for this was she had had kind of like a rough home life for a while. And there was a report that she had told a friend the week before that she was planning to run away. Police actually had suspicion in this case that there could have been a runaway. It wasn't just them following protocol. Police start looking for a week and they find no clues to her disappearance. There's no evidence. There's nothing. And so they're thinking at this point, she probably didn't run away and most likely was kidnapped. So it was at this point that they started actually searching for suspects and searching for any sort of evidence that could lead towards a kidnapping. In their search, they found, which I think this is an insanely high number, but they found 90, nine zero, sex offenders living within a mile of her complex. 90 within one mile. That's crazy. I mean, you think of that maybe somewhere like really dense, like New York City. But you said this was in Oregon? Yeah. Wow. I Ooh. just thought it was extremely high. I, I do try to remember in the back of my mind that there are definitely some people who receive the sex offender title And it may not be for reasons that are absolutely horrible because, you know, an adult can receive that for peeing in public and getting caught. Right. Right. So sometimes it's just like dumb mistakes that somebody makes. And sometimes it's actually a horrific crime that somebody has committed. I 
I'm going to say that not all 90 of these people were just dumb accidents. And some of them were definitely probably creeps. Yeah, I there's a website you can go on to and look and see who's around you that is registered. And I remember doing it back when I lived in Huntington. And I was like, there's a lot... <laughs> There were a lot near me. Well, and you can only be, you have to be so far away from like a park and a school, right? Mm -hmm. And where you lived in Huntington, there, you were quite a ways from a school or a park. Yeah, but I haven't done it in Columbus and I would venture to guess it's probably a lot worse. (laughs) Probably. One of the suspects that police had looked into was Ashley's biological father. So at one point he had been convicted of sexually abusing her during one of the times that she had visited him. They ended up clearing him. I don't know the exact process that they went through with looking into him. I don't know. I'm assuming he might have had an alibi right away. So they didn't have anything to go off of with him. Because I don't hear anything else about him other than the fact that they did look into him. Investigators are still continuing to look. They are obviously searching through the 90 sex offenders that were living around. And they're also keeping an eye on Ashley's mom and her mom's boyfriend because she'd had kind of a rough home life. She talked about running away. I think in this case thus far, the investigators are pretty good job of keeping an open mind and not specifically targeting one person. There were also a couple male neighbors that were living in the apartments that police were also keeping an eye on. They honestly didn't have anything to go off of. Like I said, she was home and then left and then just was never seen again. There wasn't really even a spot for them to look for evidence specifically because they didn't really know where she went missing from. We just know she left her house and never made it to the bus stop. A video that I watched, there were quite a few interviews done for a lot of people, which it seems like this apartment complex and like the entire school, everybody just kind of like gathered together in this case. The video that I watched was K2 News and it was like 30 minutes long. And in it, they interviewed an insane amount of people. Uh, One of the people that they interviewed was 13-year-old Miranda Gaddis, who was a friend of Ashley's. Ashley and Miranda had been in the same dance class for quite a while and went to the same middle school. They lived in the same apartment complex. And Miranda lived there with her mom, Michelle Duffy. So in this interview, the reporter was asking Miranda if she knew anything about the disappearance. This was when Miranda had said that Ashley had mentioned running away the week before, so she wasn't sure. But she also, and 13 years old, this Miranda, and she says, you know, it's been so long that it's almost like maybe she was kidnapped and she didn't really run away. And it just kind of broke my heart to see a 13-year-old girl have to go through that and to think those things. During the interview... Miranda said, quote, it's really hard to believe that happened to one of your friends or something. It's just really different and really sad, end quote. Unfortunately, a couple months later on March 8th, 2002, Miranda leaves for her bus stop around 8 a.m. and never arrives to school. Miranda's mom, Michelle, said that she had left for work about 30 minutes before Miranda would normally leave. And, And when she found out that Miranda had not been at school, she immediately called the police. Police at this time were like, okay, We've got two people missing. There is obviously a connection. They are the same age. They went to the same school. They're in the same apartment complex. Something's off. Guessing it was the same bus stop too, right? I mean, if there's... I didn't see that, but I would assume. Yeah. It's either like if they're going to stick with the runaway thing, they plan something together or someone's staking out the area. Yeah, exactly. So police bring in the FBI 
And the FBI has over 60 agents searching for these girls and for evidence. Wow. Yeah. So they end up, the FBI develops a specific task force that's going to specifically look into their disappearance only. They quickly learn there's no leads. They don't have any direction. There's no evidence. There's not even really a place to start necessarily other than the house and the bus stop and the 10 minutes in between. So it's kind of gives a lot of area to cover. It's a lot of area to cover, but you would think they could get some information from that because that at least means someone was watching these girls and knew what their daily routine was and their route was. That's true. So that's kind of what investigators thought. They were like, you know, the person that abducted the girls probably knew them and knew their routine. So they gather a long list of suspects. And I'm not even going to talk about every person that becomes a suspect. On the K2 video that I watched in that 30 minutes, I think they had four or five different suspects just on that that were talking about what it was like to be a suspect in this case. One of the suspects was a former neighbor that Miranda's father had convicted of abusing two minor girls. He also was apparently on a restraining order from his ex-girlfriend. So he seemed a little suspicious. Another suspect that comes up actually is brought to attention from Linda O'Neill, which is a woman who was related to Ashley Pond, and she was also a private investigator. So she hears about Ward Weaver III, and she's like, we should kind of look into him, and I'm going to start there. So a little bit of background about Ward. So he was a neighbor, he was a family friend, and he lived in a house right next to their apartments. This was actually the father of the friend that Ashley would sometimes hitch a ride with if she was running late for school. Ashley had actually been really good friends with Ward's daughter and she would hang out there frequently. Miranda would hang out there frequently. They were all three friends and Ashley supposedly had actually lived with Ward and his daughter during the summer of 2001, mainly because she didn't want to live at home. In an interview with Ward, he said that Ashley's mom didn't want her anymore and so she dropped her off at his house over the summer and said like she's just gonna stay with you for the summer because I don't want to deal with her sometime at the end of the summer of 2001 Ashley ends up no longer living with them because she ends up accusing Ward of molesting her and she ends up taking this information to her mom and she does report it to police but supposedly nothing ever happened with it police just kind of like pushed it off to the side which I think is really odd and in an interview that because Ward was in many interviews because he was a suspect at this time because Ashley had gone that would have been one of the places Ashley would have gone if she was running late for the bus so they were really looking into him obviously so one of the interviews they asked him about it and he's like Ashley really liked to make up stories and if you told her what to do and she didn't like it she would make up stories like this which as I had mentioned before there had been claims that her father had sexually assaulted her There had also been claims that somebody else had sexually assaulted her at one point in in time. I think one of her mom's boyfriends. And so Ward was like, yeah, it's just because she was mad. And so she was just blaming people. I think that even if that's what she was doing, it still should have been investigated. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I'm like, irregardless, if a minor saying she's getting assaulted by this grown man, 
they should at least look into it and follow up. Absolutely. I guess if you want to try, we shouldn't, but if you're going to just, you have to weigh that. Like, even if she's making it up, you have to always side with, if this is happening to her, you need to be there to help her. She's a kid. Absolutely. That outweighs the potential that she's lying because the worst that's going to happen is you find out that she is lying and then it's done. But on the other end, the worst is she's getting assaulted by all these people and no one's doing anything about it. Exactly. And I think like something with that is if say it is a lie, but they investigate it, then they can have a conversation with her and like kind of be like, hey, you got to stop. Like you can't come up with these Mm -hmm. excuses. Right. Or maybe she needs therapy. Maybe that's what we could look into. Like maybe she needs something to like work through something like, but they didn't do anything. They didn't offer anything. They were just like, we're just going to dismiss this and pass it off and it's fine. Yeah. And And I I don't think that was right. Right. If you look at statistics, on how often that's actually the case it's rare that's not how it works mm-hmm. especially coming from him saying that she just made it up like of course he's gonna say that that's the other thing like i don't know what they were expecting from the guy that she's accusing right he was wasn't just gonna be like oh yeah totally for sure send me to jail now so police were like where were you at the morning that she disappeared were you home were you at work and ward tells detectives that when she disappeared he was actually at home and so he was late for work because his burglar alarm was having issues so he was at home trying to fix that so that's why he was late to work that day he was late to work that day (laughs) yeah i love how that's what you stuck on uh yeah it's even more sketchy then yeah so then they ask you know well what do you think happened to Ashley? And he says, quote, that little girl took off. I wholeheartedly believe that, end quote. So then they ask, obviously, you know, what what happened on the day Miranda went missing? And he said that he was home taking care of one of his kids because they were sick. It wasn't something that was easily able to be corroborated, though. So detectives still had him kind of like in the back of their mind. Something about Ward is he did have a criminal record. It was for assault 16 years ago. So he had assaulted his girlfriend with a cast iron skillet, but she was scared to testify against him. He never served any time for that. Police continued to work with Ward and he honestly continued to work with them. And he's like, you guys can come check out my place. Like, that's fine. They brought dogs out to search his house and his property. They didn't find anything. Everything kind of checked out and they were like, "Okay, cool. We're just going to kind of move on. However, Ashley's family member, Linda, was like, I'm not taking that. Something feels off about it. And the main reason she felt like something felt off that she said in an interview was Ashley had said that he had sexually molested her at one point. And she felt confident enough in Ashley's report that she wasn't ready to give up on looking into Ward. At this time, another PI is like, hey... I'm willing to offer some of my services. And this man's name is Harry Oaks. So at the time he was running a for-profit search and rescue center. And he had a partner named Valerie, who was a 12 year old dog. And I just love that that was his partner. So he comes in and tells the family, like, I'm going to waive my fees. I'm going to do this all for free because something needs to be done. So he does some legwork in the back, in the background, gets some information takes his dog to Ashley's house and has the dog get Ashley sent and then they start walking around to see where the trail leads. On March 20th, 2002, 
the dog leads him up to Ward's property. I had a feeling that was going to happen. I think we all did. So Harry knocks on Ward's door and Ward's like, hi, what's up? And he's like, could I actually come in and search the house? And Ward's like, that's fine. They've already brought in seven different search dogs. I don't have anything to hide. So Harry takes Valerie through the house and the dog actually gives off two warnings in the house. Once in the hallway of the house and once outside there was a concrete slab out there and the dog alerted Harry that the scent was between the slab and the grass. Turns out the concrete slab had been poured three days after Miranda Gaddis went missing. Hmm. Sounds a little more suspicious. I say with sarcasm in my voice. Just a tad. So Harry's like, okay, I got to turn this in. So he he doesn't call 911 right away. I think he just doesn't want to accidentally set off Ward in this moment. But he does make a report and turns it into the Oregon City Police Department. So now we have this report. Police don't really do anything about it. They're like, we had seven of our dogs come in. They didn't find anything. Your dog was probably just confused. Ward said he was building this concrete slab because he was putting a hot tub down. Like, everything's fine. Or, excuse me, a jacuzzi down. So they weren't worried about it. And they're like, it's fine. Wouldn't there have been a jacuzzi there then by this point, you would think? He hadn't had the chance to get the jacuzzi yet. This was only in March. And Miranda had gone missing in March as well. Oh, so okay. I, he might have still been saving right. money, enough. I guess. I don't know. Whatever the thought process was, he didn't have a jacuzzi yet. So Linda's like, I'm still going to keep looking into this guy. Something still seems off. So she starts researching and finds a Ward Weaver is in California on death row where he's been for two decades. And obviously uh, she's quite confused. Yeah. So she looks into it further. Turns out this was Ward Weaver's father. So Ward Weaver was actually the third that we have in our story. Mm-hmm. And his father had been sentenced to death after murdering a couple in 1982. He had murdered the boy and girl and then buried the girl in his backyard under a concrete slab that he poured for over a year before he was caught. Yeah, that's... There's, we're piling up stuff here, and it's not looking good for Ward. Not really. Police are still kind of dismissive. Well, it's fine. He didn't do anything. Okay, so Linda's still feeling pretty off about this Ward guy. I think even more so than she did in the beginning. Me too, Linda. Me too. So over the next few weeks, she starts reaching out to people that know Ward, including his ex-wives and teachers at Ashley's school and just all kinds of people. So one of the teachers at the school said that she saw Ward drop Ashley off at school and it looked like he was kissing 12-year-old Ashley. Mm -hmm. There was also a family friend that said that they knew Ashley had spent multiple weeks at Ward's house, which, as we know, she supposedly lived there in 2001. But it was reported that Ashley would sleep in his bed with him. Uh, I don't like this. And then there was a girlfriend, I think a girlfriend of Ward's at one point, said that Ward had been really angry with Miranda Gaddis because Miranda had been telling girls in the neighborhood not to go to their house because Ward might molest you. 
and he obviously wasn't very happy about that rumor being spread around. Hang on. He wasn't really happy about that quote-unquote rumor being spread around. Then in June of 2002, Linda comes home one day and her son is at her house working on his car with someone. The man looks up and it's none other than Ward Weaver at Linda's house working with her son. I think Ward probably got word that she was like looking into him and searching around and looking into his ex-wives. And so Ward says, quote, kids are so naive, aren't they? End quote. I don't like Ward. I want Ward to leave forever. So Linda responds to Ward and says, quote, I don't think that my family is any of your business. And he's like, Miss O'Neill, that's what I came here to tell you. So that's really creepy. And Linda said she had her gun on her and she felt safe and made him leave her property. Then she was like, okay, I have to take what I know to the FBI. Somebody needs to look into this even further because something needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So she calls the FBI and says, like, I'm a private investigator. This is the information that I have on this guy. Do something. And the FBI, whoever she talks to, says, we really don't need help from private investigators, you know. We're the FBI, and we really don't think that Ward Reaver is a suspect. Sounds like one of those, like, classic, like, you know, those, like, power struggles. Like, we can do this ourselves. We don't want your help. And it gets in the way of a proper investigation. It's like the evidence that I've presented to you guys so far is overwhelming. Like, it is like a slap in the face. I don't understand how there's any question about whether or not he's a suspect at this point. Right. I mean, and at least just to look into it, like just investigate it further. Exactly. There's just like a lot of negligence at this point. I think around this time, a Portland Tribute reporter named Jim Redden decides to work with Linda and do a surprise interview with Ward. So he goes out there. And shows up randomly one morning at his house and is like, hey, I want to talk to you about this case. Like, do you have a moment? Could I come inside? And Ward's like, yeah, sure. Come on in. And they do an interview. And Jim reports that he felt like Ward was a pretty normal guy. He didn't get feel anything off about him. So he just writes this article and published it, which would be the first time Ward's name was in the paper regarding this case. Because remember, nobody believed he was a suspect. Mm. Other than the PIs. So Weaver's pretty happy at this point. And he decides he's going to go on national television and talk about it. So he ends up calling one of his ex-wives and like brags that he's going to be on TV. And he's like, hey, you should watch it. And while he's talking about Ashley's disappearance, he says this quote that I was not a fan of. And he says, quote, she's better off hiding out wherever she's found a place to live. End quote. What does that mean? He thinks she's a runaway and that she left on her own accord because her family didn't want her. So I think he's kind of just still hanging on to that at the moment. So a few days later, police decide to launch a raid. They get a search warrant. They start towing away vehicles. They perform a polygraph test to which this guy fails. Unfortunately, the guy that they launched this raid on is not Ward Weaver. Mm. Who is it? The person you mentioned earlier? It's one of the neighbors. I don't remember his name. He appeared in one of the interviews on the K2 video, but I don't want to bring his name into this because they just interviewed him once and kind of uprooted his life and started searching into him at this point. I don't really know what their basis was for him other than the fact that he like lived nearby. 
but they interviewed him five or six times. And oh, I guess I kind of the basis, if you want to call it that, is he had gone on a camping trip the day that Miranda had disappeared and police thought it was suspicious. So they were like, yeah, well, that that camping trip is really suspicious. Not the concrete or the fact that that was possibly where the girls were last seen or the molest accusations or the threats, any reports from anybody or the threats. Nope. That camping trip really did it for us. Let's search him. So at this point, police have no idea what to do. They don't know who to suspect. I'm not sure what their thought process is here. I'll be honest. Then on August 8th, 2002, Ward Reaver says that he's going to leave because the police keep hassling him. So he's like, I'm going to leave. Like, I need to get out of here. They're, they're being annoying. I'm going to go to Mexico and find a place there, get a job there. The unfortunate thing is, I don't think that anything further would have happened with Ward if this next event had not happened, which is extremely unfortunate. I think it was that same day. It, it was around that same day. It might have been a couple days later that he announced that he was leaving. Word Weaver's son, Francis, had a girlfriend named Onita. And she was 19 years old. And she had gone over to see Ward. He was her boyfriend's father. And she felt like she could trust him. And she got in his car. And she said that the entire way to his house, he was acting really weird. And when they got in the house, he kind of snapped. He threw her to the floor and attempted to rape her. And she was able to get away from him. She said the entire time, all she was thinking about was Ashley and Miranda and how he had probably done something to them. And she just had to get out of there. So as she was running away, she grabbed a tarp that was on the concrete slab that was out back that he had set up and wrapped it around herself and started running down the road and she was able to flag down a car and this guy like took her to a business that was nearby and like put her in there and said like let's stay here until police come so they call police and within hours ward was arrested booked and behind bars a few days later so on august 24th the fbi shows up to finally search his property again they are searching for multiple hours and then they find a box in a shed behind his house and in this box the remains of Miranda Gaddis were discovered. They continued to search and the following day they started to dig up the concrete slab and beneath it there was a 55 gallon drum that contained the remains of Ashley Pond. Something else that I didn't mention that was kind of suspicious was that in July Ward had actually decided to sell his 1977 Camaro. And when he sold it, the buyer was like, he noticed that all the carpet and the lining had been removed from the car. He decided to purchase it anyway. He did come forward and like mention that later to FBI, but still really suspicious. As I mentioned, he was in many interviews and listening to him in the interviews gave me the creeps. He was very frustrating. He disregarded everything that Ashley or Miranda ever said about him. He talked about them as if they meant nothing, had showed no emotion. The only emotion that he showed actually is frustration towards police for thinking he had anything to do with it. And honestly, watching him pissed me off. That was probably so frustrating, but also so like vindicating for Linda 
It's like she knew early on and the other officer with the dog, they knew early on, but they couldn't get them to do anything. So it's like, it's good. They finally, you know, got the guy. But at the same time, if they would have just listened, it could have solved it earlier and spared Francis's girlfriend's attack too. Absolutely. There's so many things and it's not like they didn't have piles and piles of evidence. Like you said, like we mentioned earlier, it was, they had a lot to go off of and they just kept kind of pushing it off to the side. On October 2nd, 2002, Weaver was indicted and charged with six counts of aggravated murder, two counts of abuse of a corpse in the second degree, one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, and one count of attempted rape in the second degree. One count of attempted aggravated murder, one count of attempted rape in the first degree, and one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, one count of sexual abuse in the second degree, and two counts of sexual abuse in the third degree. Wow. Yeah, and in case you lost track, that was 16 charges. It wasn't until September of 2004 that Ward pleaded guilty to multiple counts of aggravated murder for killing Ashley and Miranda, attempted aggravated murder and rape of Onita, and another 15-year-old girl, and abuse of a corpse, among other things. He was sentenced to two consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. At his sentencing, the judge said, I think everyone probably shares in the hope that there's a special place of hell for people like you which was pretty bold. I can agree with that. I mean, hot damn. I don't disagree. Something that I wanted to mention that I debated mentioning, but I was like, yeah, we'll just throw that in there. So on February 14th, 2014, Ward's stepson, Francis, was arrested and charged with the murder of a drug dealer in Oregon. He was found guilty and given a life sentence. So Once again, in case you lost track, that is now the third generation of a Weaver to be convicted of murder and spending life in prison. To this day, Ward Weaver remains incarcerated at the Two Rivers Correctional Institution in Oregon, serving out his two life sentences without the chance of parole. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.